This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. For those seeking genuine transformation, SoundsTrue.com is your trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. Many voices, one journey. SoundsTrue.com. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today I speak with Meg Lundstrom. Meg is a journalist and author who has written extensively on the topics of self-development, health, and the search for meaning. She discovered the art of divining over 20 years ago and calls upon her vast knowledge in the subject for a new book with Sounds True called What to Do When You Can't Decide, Useful Tools for Finding the Answers Within. In this episode, Meg and I spoke about synchronicity and divining, the three types of divining methods that she teaches in her book, as well as the mechanisms at work behind the art of divining. Here's my delightful conversation with Meg Lindstrom. Meg, you wrote a book on synchronicity called The Power of Flow, Practical Ways to Transform Your Life with Meaningful Coincidence. And now you've written a new book, published by Sounds True, on divining, called What to Do When You Can't Decide. And to begin, I'm curious to know, as a journalist, why and how you've chosen these topics, first synchronicity, and now the topic of divining, how these have played into your own life, that they've become so central that you've wanted to write about them. Well, I guess, damn it, it's because they are my life. It's my, it's been my experience over time that synchronicity is, is the way that life works. When you're really in accord with your deepest self, things have a way of unfolding in, in dramatic and remarkable and wonderful ways. And along the line, I learned divining, and I found that when I use divining, it accelerates this process. And so life and decision-making, um, both of which can be so fraught with um, uh, internal clutter, we might say, and with um, um, anxiety, can actually just turn into a dance. You move a direction, you, you get guidance, you move, and things start happening in ways that um, just lead to delight and discovery. Um, and that's why... I was drawn to these topics. I just, the more I, I live my life in accord with, um, you might say, my deepest self, deeper truths, uh, the better the better it went. And and then I just wanted to tell people about it. And that's why these books came about. Okay, well, let's break it down a little bit. What does it mean to live your life in accord with synchronicity? What, what does that mean for you? Well, what it means is you, you know, you really tune in to what's happening right in front of you. Um, what is unfolding? What does it mean? What is the next step? And everything becomes information. And when that happens, um, you enter into a very interactive kind of process with the universe. And everything is a bit like a dance. It's like a tango. Um, and step by step, you move in some in some direction, and then another direction opens up, and then something else opens up. Um, and bit by bit, your life is transformed so that it gets easy. It's not that you don't have problems, don't have um, anxieties, you don't have fears, but somehow everything 
almost on its own falls away as you go through these processes. And synchronicity is what helps this all to happen. The people it puts in front of you, the approaches you try, uh, the way things open up. Um, and divining is a way that you can, you actually um, tap into this process. It's a very intuitive process, and divining is, in a sense, um, you're summoning intuition. You're not necessarily waiting for it to show up. You're in a spot, you need an answer, you'd like to have it sooner rather than later. And you use one of these tools, and the answer is there. And then it's your choice. Do you move with it? Do you not? If you do, my experience has been that it's great. It really works out. Okay, so let's just make sure everybody's tracking with us. How do you define divining? Divining is when you use a tool or an approach in order to bypass your conscious mind. And the conscious mind, you know, here we'll define it just as it's that kind of busy body part of us that knows it all. Uh, it's our ego. Some people use ego in this sense. Um, and we, we go past this part of the mind to tap what we might call the deeper, truer part of ourselves. Uh, in one sense, we're going past the conscious mind into the unconscious. We're accessing the vast panorama of potentiality that's in our unconscious when we use these specific tools. Uh, it's a, a bit like intuition on demand. Although, since you can't really demand intuition, we can say it's intuition on request. So, is it your experience that synchronicity is always happening, but that sometimes we're not aware of what the meaningful information is that we need and that therefore using a tool like a divination tool helps us navigate when we're not as tuned in as we want to be? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's all a process of coming into accord with what is happening in the moment and moving with it. And, and the more we use intuition, the more we use these tools, the clearer we become. And the more able we are to, to dance with what is happening rather than to try to plot to escape it or avoid it or do something else. All of which leads to internal discord and actually kind of stops the whole process of synchronicity and intuition. Mm -hmm. Now, how did you first discover divining? I was on a trip to India and somebody showed me the chits. This was about 20 years ago. And can you tell us what the chits are? It's a very simple approach. It's a form of casting of lots, which is probably the most ancient kind of divination. And with chits, what you do is you write out your options on pieces of paper. Um, you fold them up. You pray. You connect with that kind of deepest and truest part of yourself with the divine. And you toss them. And the one that falls closest to you or to the sacred object, whichever you decide on in advance, that's the one that you pick up and that's the council. Um, so it's very simple, and it can be used in very simple ways. I think the first time I used it was to decide whether to go on an errand, um, and it said it advised me not to. I thought, well, never mind, I have to do this. And I went on the errand, and it turned out to be hot and sweaty and complicated and useless. And I thought, ah, okay, <laughs> maybe I'll try the system again. Okay, now, now hold on one second. So just to understand how you used the chits to decide if you were going to go on this errand or not. So how many little pieces of paper did you have? Well, and I can't remember this totally clearly, but yeah. this is probably how it went. I had one piece of paper that said, you know, do this errand. Second one said, do not go on this errand. The third one said, wait. That means don't do anything now, of course. The fourth one is, do not choose this way. 
that means don't use this approach to make this decision. Uh-huh. That's a good shit to have, I think. You always have to have that in there uh-huh. because maybe it's not the right approach for this time. The thing about these tools is that they're just tools and they're like any tool, you use them um, when they're useful. It doesn't mean they're good in all occasions, um, but for the right occasion, they're great. So you always have to have that. Do not use, uh, do not choose this way. And so then I prayed probably and through them and the one that landed closest to me was the one which said, uh, do not go on this errand. But I went. Well, <laughs> so, well now, of course, you know, when we're yeah. thinking about uh, using the chits to decide something, you know, rather yes. low risk like this, should I go on an errand or yes. not? Or I mean, I guess it could be could be high risk depending on what might happen. But still, that's not yeah. like, should I leave my husband? You know, where right. should I move to? <laughs> should I quit my job? You know, so yes. I mean, do, do we really throw little pieces of paper down to decide if we should leave our husband? Yes. I mean, it seems a little ridiculous. Yes. It sounds totally absurd. And I've done similar things in the past, and it's really worked out. Um, I, I know it sounds crazy. But if you really, really, really can't decide on something major like that, and you've tried everything, and your mind says one thing, then it says another, and your friends say one thing, and the internet says another, and you just can't decide, you know... I'll tell you, this is a better approach than most. Because <laughs> you know? what you do is you just get so quiet, you're so still. You go through several steps. You know, you get very quiet. You get connected to that deepest and truest part of yourself, to the divine. Um, you write out the pieces of paper. You meditate. You pray for, you know, as 10 minutes, half an hour, until you feel this calm settle in. And then you throw them. And then you look at the one that comes up first. And quite often, you know, it's not the one you want. But yeah, even major decisions like that. In the book, I I interviewed one woman who told me that she did the chits about leaving her husband, and she got a yes. And so she went and she talked to a divorce lawyer, and then she went and she told her husband. And she said that he totally changed. He'd always refused to do counseling, to do anything about the problems in their marriage. And because she had taken those steps and was clear, he totally changed, went to counseling, and now, they're in a, and now their marriage is very happy. So, and this brings up another aspect of, of the chits and of these systems, which is that, you know, they're very much uh, process-oriented. They take you to the next step, and then another step where you can then go from there to the next step and then to the next step. Um, you can't always get to there from here. Uh, but these sort of take you gently along the way. And just a small example, again, it's a minor thing, but um, I was in India. I had to have a haircut. And so I did the chits. And I ended up, actually, I think it was muscle testing then. And what came up was to go to a salon, um, kind of a local beauty salon. So I went there to make an appointment, and I was standing in front of there, and I ran into an Italian friend of mine. And um, she, I was really tuned into haircuts at the time, and she just had a wonderful haircut. And she told me she had gotten it from a, a guy who had just come from London who worked at a top salon there. And he was giving haircuts in his flat, which, which was just a few blocks away. So I knew enough not to be rigid about the first one. It got me to a point where I saw this woman. I called him. I went to his flat. He gave me a really terrific haircut, very frisky. <laughs> so, so that's how it works out. It takes you step by step toward a direction. 
Now, what is the role of praying? You mentioned, you know, centering yourself, waiting 10, 20, 30 minutes before throwing the chits. How does that impact the process? I think it's very important because to me, I, I mean, you're really accessing the divine. And I guess theoretically you could do it, you know, quickly and without that step. But I think that step is really critical. For me, it's been really critical because you really, you're, you know, something is moving in the universe. And by going as deep in yourself as you can, you're engaging with that process. And I think when you do that, the answers are, are very much spot on. Now, Meg, I know you're a very intelligent woman and a researcher and that you won't be offended by this question, at least I hope not. But there's a part of me that thinks that something like just throwing the chits to make major decisions is really superstitious mumbo-jumbo. I mean, we are now relying on a superstitious, you know, toss of the dice, if you will, to make major decisions in our life. I know you talk about how divining can access... Uh, our subconscious mind. But how can something like throwing the chits, we're not accessing our subconscious mind, we're trusting our life to randomness. You know, we're trusting our life to God. We're trusting our life to the divine. And I think it's actually, I know it sounds crazy. I know it sounds insane. And if you do it, and you don't get that internal yes, then don't do it. You know, then the process is not working properly. But what it really does is it summons up our deepest answers. It puts us in front of us. Because our minds, our minds are just, you know, they can go nuts sometimes. It's just their nature. You know, they protect us from stepping out of our mold. And sometimes we have to take a risk. We've got to step out of our mold. And the chits, in my experience, can give us the courage to actually do that. Because there is a sense of something coming from a very deep, deep place, uh, whether we consider that within ourselves, whether that's God or the divine, or it comes from some place which seems which is both within us and beyond us, and it's a very moving thing to do. And then there's a sense about it that it feels right. It just feels right, and in that case, you can move. So it does sound superstitious, but sometimes you know one. It's very interesting. There's a, researchers in Holland, and they've done a lot of research on decision-making and the conscious mind. Because we tend in our culture to put so much stake in thinking something through carefully, mm-hmm. researching it, looking at all the angles. How do we get this to work? You know, what's the best approach? And what they have found is that actually the conscious mind is not very good at making complex decisions. Mm-hmm. What happens is um, they, they done a research, for instance, where they had students look at buying cars or choosing apartments where there were a number of factors involved. And they found that if they distracted them so that they were not thinking consciously about it, and then asked them, the people who did not think consciously about it, but turned it over to their unconscious, had a much, much higher rate of making good decisions. People who thought it through very carefully tended not to make good decisions. And it's partly because of the way our minds are structured. Our, our conscious mind can only take in about seven pieces of inf- seven bits of information at any one point in time, plus or minus four. They say <laughs> the unconscious mind takes in eleven million bits of information at any one point in time. So there's a vast amount of difference in the information that each part of our mind is is collecting at any one point in time. 
And I think what divining does is it really allows us to somehow tap into that unconscious and to look at it uh, with our conscious mind. Okay, so in the book, What to Do When You Can't Decide, you teach three divining techniques. One right. you've described now in quite some detail, throwing the chits. You also teach muscle testing, which you very briefly mentioned was part of your hair-cutting sojourn. And then <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, the third technique uh, that you teach is what you call pendling, working with a, a pendulum. And so when it comes to muscle testing, which I want to go into in just a moment, and using a pendulum, it makes sense to me that if we're testing our own physical response, and we'll go into what muscle testing is, or if we're using a pendulum that's attached to our hand, whether, you know, we'll talk about that, it makes sense to me that our own unconscious, as you say, these 11,000 pieces of information that we've received and processed, would influence the results of the muscle testing or the results of the pendling. But when it comes to throwing the chits, which is what we've been talking about so far, yes. you know, I write on a little piece of paper and then I seal the piece of paper so I don't even know what's written on it. And then I've got four, five, six of these in my hand and I throw them. How is my subconscious influencing <laughs> the chits? I don't even know I don't even know what's on them anymore. Well, Tammy, this is really funny. I mean the I Ching is the same thing, right? The runes are the same thing. The tarot is the same thing. They're all random processes out of which order emerges. And it totally boggles the mind. It makes no sense. And yet, as anybody that knows these systems well knows, somehow it works. How does it work? We don't know. Does it work or do people project whatever and then that works? I mean, is the system working or are we interpreting it in such a way that it works in our life? Well, you know, that's an excellent question. And my experience is that the system works. I have just found amazing. Um, and just to quote Jung, you know, Jung wrote the uh, forward to, um, to the William version of the I Ching. And he talks about how watching order emerge out of this seemingly random process. And he said, he wrote very wryly, he said, the less that one thinks about the theory of the each thing, the better one sleeps at night. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that quote. I, I mean, the I Ching, of course, has a long tradition behind it, as, as does the runes and the tarot. Um, this is a very simple, customized version of those uh, unlike those systems, which do rely a lot on metaphor and symbols and which can be interpreted lots of ways, you know, the chits are cut and dried. They just give it to you straight on, um, and then you can decide what to do with it. Um, but that's their strength, and it's probably the reason they haven't spread in use more. <laughs> there's, there's not much wiggle room with them. And before we move on from the chits, I just want to make mm -hmm. sure that I hear it in your own words. What you believe is happening when we throw the chits I asked you, do you feel like you're you know, trusting your life to randomness? And you said, no, we're trusting our life to God. What do you believe is happening in that moment? You believe we're having some kind of dialogue with divinity that is giving us the information we need? Absolutely. <laughs> That's it. That's it. I think, you know, we ask and we receive. It's that simple. And, and I, I don't, it's difficult to, to grasp conceptually how this can work. And I think the best thing would be for some, if somebody is at all intrigued is to try it out and see if it works. That's the, that's the ultimate test. 
does it work? Does it give you the answers that serve you? Um, in my experience, it has over and over again. Um, but this is something that is to be explored and experimented with and, and see if it works for somebody individually. Okay, so now let's move on to using muscle testing and how that can be a divining technique. Now, I think most people are familiar with muscle testing as something, you know, you go to a energy healer and they'll test you, they'll hold your arm out. And, you know, if your arm, they try to push it down. And if they can push your arm down, it's a no. And if your arm is firm, it's a yes. And, you know, different kinds of energetic healers will test you about all kinds of things. But you're talking now about muscle testing that I can do on myself in order to make decisions. So I'd be curious if you could explain, first of all, what this is and how to do it. Okay. Um, The theory behind muscle testing is that a positive response, your muscles will hold their strength. And with a negative response, they'll lose their strength. Although for some people, it's the exact opposite. But that's the basic theory. And to do it, um, what you do, I can lead you through it just very quickly. There's several ways you can do it. In the book, what we talk about the most is you take your left hand, so the palm is facing you, and you put your little finger, the tip of your little finger against the tip of your thumb, so you've formed an O. That's called your circuit fingers. Then you take your right hand, uh, and you put your pointer finger and your thumb together and you insert it into that circle so that the knuckles, whatever knuckles feel comfortable, are resting against each other. And the testing involves pushing out with your testing fingers against the circuit fingers to try to break that link between your, your, your thumb and your pinky. And the way you can test this is you, could, you do this and then you say, you know, my name is... And you say your name. My name is Tammy, say. And then you press that word. And it should hold its strength. Then you say, my name is Roberta. And you test, and it should open a little bit. So that's your yes and your no. Um, and then you can also set it up so that you can do a series, if you want to check on, I should go to Paris in June, July, August, September, uh, you test each time and it opens on the word September. So that's how you, you choose from a list of things. So that's that's the basic mechanism. Um, in the book, we have some exercises on how you can develop that skill and play with it. Um, but again, with muscle testing, although this is a very simple mechanism, easy to learn, um, to actually do it effectively and well, you have to do a few steps before you actually ask the question. And the first thing is that you have to get very quiet uh, find a quiet place uh, inside and outside. Um, later on, when you get good at it, this isn't as necessary, but particularly in the beginning, when you're, getting, when you're training yourself, that's very helpful. The second thing is you get connected to that deepest and truest part of yourself, however you conceive of it. It might be a prayer. It might be a mantra. It might be thinking of somebody or something you love. Somehow you connect to that space. And the third thing is, is you neutralize your your opinions and your desires, your preferences. This is a really important step. Um, and there are several ways, you, there's a number of ways you can do it. Uh, you can, for instance, um, imagine um, putting it all to one side, just taking it and putting it to the left, say. Or you can 
have a prayer such as I will be done. Um, or you can um, think of ways in which every outcome would turn out well and every outcome would turn out badly. So that, in effect, neutralizes your preferences. Then you do the actual testing. Um, and then again, you wait for that intuitive response. Does it feel right? Because that, that, that sense of aha, that rightness, that has to be there also. Afterwards, that's how you verify. Mm-hmm. Now, now, a couple questions. Okay. One, sometimes, of course, we divine and we get an answer we don't like. Yes. And yet you're saying that there should be this kind of aha. So are, are you saying that we get an aha even about the answer we don't like? Yes. <laughs> In fact, if you get an answer you don't like, that's proof that it's working. If you keep on getting answers that you like, you know, something's not quite right. It's very easy to override this process with our mind. And they just give us, just have it give us what we want. And, and then it's of no use whatsoever. I mean, what, what good is it then? We, it, it's best to actually ask it to be very honest with you that you really want to know the truth about this. Above anything else, you want to know the truth about what's right for you in this circumstance. And then you can accept whatever answer comes up and move with it. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then... I understand from the way you've described it how I can use muscle testing to get a yes or no answer. Yes. I got a little confused when you were offering the list of options of okay. which months I might be traveling to Paris. I think I started thinking, am I going to go to Paris soon? I got all excited. and So can you uh, talk me through that one more time, how I would work with a, a list of options and muscle okay. testing? Actually, what you would do with your fingers in those positions still, you just say to yourself, this is a choice. Then you wait to see if the fingers open or close. That indicates to you what the choice is from a list of things. And so it may, let's say, for instance, that your finger shuts on the, stays shut on the, on the choice. Then if you were testing, let's say, should I go to the park Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday? So then you would test Monday, it stays open. Tuesday, it stays shut. Wednesday, it opens. So you know Tuesday is your answer there. Right. Okay, very good. Yeah. And is your view here, I mean, I know, I mean, you, you quoted Jung, you know, it's better not to think about these things, but I, I can't help myself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I do think about these things. And I know you do too. I have such an active mind. You know, it, to me, it's amazing that my mind is just so, so active all the time that these aids are wonderful for me, but they're also um they, the fact that they, I use them means they work for me because, you know, they have to work. Otherwise, I wouldn't bother. Do you think that's part of your interest? Is that because your mind is so active that you need tools like this? Because otherwise you'd be bouncing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Monday. Ah! You know, it's quite possible. I, you know, I'm a Gemini. So I, and I not only see like two sides of an issue, I see, you know, 20 sides of an issue. <laughs> it's great when you're a journalist, but when you're making decisions, it can make you, it can be difficult. Um so for me, it's, it's very helpful. <laughs> um, and that could be partly because I do have trouble making decisions. I think other people, some people who are, who are very decisive, no need for these tools. I mean, why, why would they bother? If you can really easily make decisions and they turn out well, then it's great. Um, but why most, stick but your most, fingers most of us are weird configurations yeah, while you're, you know, in the grocery store if you know what you want to buy. If you know what you want to buy. But then again, you're looking at a bunch of, let's say, uh, watermelons 
which one should you buy? You know, if you don't know how to get the right sound out of them, you know, it's very easy. Just to, a friend of mine, her mother, when she goes to the fruit market, she swings her purse. She uses her purse as a pendulum. Oh, it's not her grandmother. It's her husband's mother who's in her 90s in Brooklyn. She goes to a market. She uses her purse as a pendulum to pick the right melons. <laughs> now, Meg, I'm, I'm seeing that as we sell, you know, hundreds of thousands of copies of this book, yes. that there are going to be people in Whole Foods all over the country swinging their purses exactly. in front of the watermelons. <laughs> it's going to be dangerous. It's going to be a strange movement. Okay. But here's the question I wanted to ask you with my rational mind in looking okay. at muscle testing. Yes. And then we'll get to using a pendulum in just a moment. But with muscle testing, yeah. do you believe, is this sort of theory consonant with your view, that our body is somehow communicating what's in our subconscious? Absolutely. And that's how, with our, like, our fingers are, are opening up because our body is this exactly. knowing exactly. mirror I, think, I just think it's... it's I, we have intelligence in our very cells, and I, I really think our, it's our unconscious speaking through our bodies to our conscious minds. Um, because obviously with, with muscle testing and with the pendulum, um, you know, you might say a signal goes from the brain, you know, through our, through our neuromuscular system to our fingers, and, there, and there's the result. Um, so a lot of things are happening along the way, and it's really our, our body communicating to us from our from our deepest intelligence i think and with that now let's move to the pendulum and the, the pendulum something you know we're holding in our hand and yes, so yeah, yeah. there's some communication of what's happening in our body through that point of contact whether it's an actual pendulum or our purse as you're describing yeah. <laughs> so uh so can you use anything as a pendulum sure. anything that swings freely you can use as a pendulum you can use like a, a pendant on a chain uh, and once i was just playing with it and I was able I used a computer mouse on the end of a cord. <laughs> I thought, my God, this works. So yeah, you can use anything. Okay, so I'm gonna take off my watch and use my watch. Now does it swing Tell me now, does, how, it, does it swing freely? Yeah. This is the question, or is it most watches okay. are on a band that doesn't swing very freely. My watch swings pretty well. So okay. it swings. Okay. And how do I establish What's yes, what's no, what's maybe, what's don't use this technique to make this important critical decision in your life. <laughs> so what you do is you can use, you can either ask it to show you or you can direct it to show you a direction. In this case, we'll try asking. So you would ask it, say, please show me a yes. And then you watch and you see which way it moves. It can be circular, it can be back and forth, up and down. It can move sideways, counterclockwise. And you believe that what's happening here is that my subconscious is starting to dialogue with my conscious mind. What you're doing so is my you're, subconscious. Yeah, is, you're yeah. setting up communication between your your unconscious or subconscious and your conscious mind with this process. You're setting up the rules of of conduct, you might say. Okay, I'm with you. And then you say, "I've got a yes." Okay, and what is your yes? My yes is just a back and forth, straight back and forth. Okay. Now you say, "Show me a no." Okay. It went, it's a left to right. right. It's a left to right motion. And now say, show me a neutral. It's not moving at all. Okay. So you are. Those are your three responses. So now that you have your responses, you can ask a question of it. And you'll get your yes, your no. Neutral means wait or the answer isn't available or the answer is not here right now for sure. And so I could say, you know, I want a ripe watermelon. I could go to the grocery store and hold this over various watermelons yes. to find the one that was right. Yes. Yeah. And this would be a, a low-risk way to find out if it worked. 
But you also have to specify when you want it to be ripe. Do you want it to be ripe enough to eat in two hours? Do you want it to be the best yeah. ripeness for eating in one day? If you just ask for the ripest watermelon, you probably will get one that's overly ripe. So, Right. So it have to be very specific. Very which, specific this, and, and simple yeah. language and, and uncomplicated okay. sentences, very simple sentences. What would be your guidance, like the kind of do's and don'ts of divining so that I can have the best results? Um, well, the three steps we had talked about, those are important. Um, it, Remind me that I pray first. Again, those, again first to, make, to be quiet. And if you're testing melons, of course, it can be done more quickly. Uh, second, to um, connect to that deepest part of yourself. Somehow make that connection. And then three, um, neutralize your opinions. Just be willing to trust that any watermelon is going to be the right watermelon. <laughs> And then you go over them. So the do's and the don'ts, I mean, to me, a real basic do is, is don't ask about the future. It's, I don't think it works with these devices. I don't think it works particularly well for anything, but, but it's, uh, it's, it's not that? about asking about the future. Um, you're in a whole different realm. It, it's been my experience that these approaches actually work best in the moment for a decision that you need to make. The future is often failed. It can change. Um, it generally is not productive to say, will this happen? Now, you can ask, is it a good idea? Should I, no, should I buy a plane ticket for this date? That's a different kind of thing. That's, a, that's a, an action-oriented question, as opposed to, will I go there on this date? Um, second thing is, you know, don't get a, don't get in other people's business. <laughs> it's not about finding, you know, what your teenage son is doing and not telling you about. Uh, again, it's very hard to get clear because it's um, we have so many fears and desires and hopes and blind spots that it's, it's very easy with a question like that to to go astray. And to come up with what either makes you more fearful or makes you um, more blind to it. So it's really not about other people. It's more about, you could ask yourself, should I talk with my son about this? You know, is there anything more I should know about talking with my son about this? And then you can, you can dialogue with the pendulum and muscle testing very easily uh, to go deeper, to explore all the aspects of a question or uh, some kind of issue facing you. But again, it's not about asking if your next door neighbor is having an affair with the FedEx carrier. That's not your business, you know. Well, you know, well, this team win the World Series. That's not what it's for. And then, in terms of advice about how I frame my questions, or you know, yes, no specificity. Do you have any more to say about that? It helps, especially in the beginning, to take some time on it to be really clear about what your questions are. Because if the, the more clear you are, the, the more clear your answers will be. Um, and for some people, it takes some time just to learn how to ask a question properly. And sometimes, just in framing the question, the answer becomes clear. What often happens with defining is, as you go along the process, the answer will become clear to you even before you ask the question. And in those cases, you don't even have to ask the question. But there's something about the process itself and, and opening doors and opening the potential for things to be uh, different than sort of our, our narrow preconceptions. Sometimes information just comes in and you know how to do without even going through the process itself. Now, Meg, when I 
think back to cultures that have been around for a long time, and you mentioned the use of something like the I Ching, mm-hmm. we can see that divining tools have been useful for people yes. for thousands of years. And I completely hear what you're saying about the need to have access to guidance that's outside of our limited rational mind. But at the same time, I can see in cultures that have been around for a long time Mm -hmm. a great deal of superstition, of just plain myth and ignorant views about the world and how it works. How do you make this distinction between relating to the world in a kind of superstitious and one might say pre-rational way versus relating to the world by wanting to go trans-rational, beyond the rational mind, still including our rational mind. But, you know, uh, this is, you know, I'm drawing here on some work from Ken Wilber where he talks about something that he calls the pre-trans fallacy. And I'm not trying to get too complicated, but he talks about how we sometimes confuse what's pre-rational with what's beyond rational. How have you sorted this out? With divining, you know, we're not actually using just our unconscious or just one side of our brain. We're actually using our brain in a very integrated manner because coming up with the question... And I'll use left and right side here because it's easy language. But coming up with the question, we use the left and rational side of our brain. As we write, let's say we're using the chits, as we write down the options, we're opening ourselves up to intuitive inflow as well. uh, Because an option may occur to us that hadn't before, so we add that to the list. Um, When we pray, we're opening ourselves up again. We're in the right side of our brain, we're opening ourselves up to, or connecting with the divine, we're opening ourselves up to this wider, deeper part of ourselves, um, the unconscious. We muscle test, we pendle, you know, we throw the chits, we get the answer, we look at it. And at this point, you know, both parts of our brain swing into action. We, there's an intuitive yes, or there isn't. And there's also the rational mind comes in and says, is this going to work? You know, how will this work? And it does the evaluation. And then in terms of logistics, what's the next step? Again, the rational mind is engaged. So I'm an anthropologist who found that shamans and people that do divining, you might almost say it's a professional activity, you know, their brain weaves to both the unconscious and the conscious realms together in a very um, fluid manner. And they have found actually, it's an old study, but it was done on divining, and they found that experienced diviners are actually operating at, you know, at all four levels of the brain. So Meg, I'm not quite clear. What are the four levels of the brain? Well, they're, okay, they're actually, let's say, four brainwave frequencies. Um, one is the beta waves, which is ordinary waking consciousness. You know, that's our mind when it's busy and buzzing. Um, and then there's um, alpha waves, which are kind of calm, relaxed, peaceful. There's theta waves, which is when we're between wakefulness and sleep. Um, It's that stage when we're just kind of drifting off to sleep. And then there's delta waves, which is deep, dreamless sleep. And also during uh, intense spiritual practices, these kinds of, of waves are present. So in effect, what they found is that activity was occurring simultaneously in all four of these frequencies. So so in effect, they were thinking, they were relaxing, and they were dozing, and they were sleeping deeply all at the same time, which is very unusual. Um, Mm -hmm. So 
something very interesting is going on here. And, and what was happening is that neurons are also firing simultaneously on both sides of their brains in an even in a coherent manner, which amplifies the brain's power. So it's, it's very interesting. Actually, at the last convention of the American Society of Dowsers, there was a man there who has done much of the research at the Stanford Research Institute on remote viewing. And he was actually amazed by dowsing because what he, he said what amazed him about it was that the information that good dowsers obtained was so specific and that even the best of his people who he did research experiments for two or three decades uh, for the CIA, among other parties. Uh, but he said even the best people at remote viewing didn't often have that kind of very specific information that they were able to access. So this is really helpful. What you're saying to me is that when you engage with divining in a, in a deep and real way, that all of these parts of the brain and all four of these brain states are active. And something like superstition, which is more just like a belief, you know, could be that almost just the rational part of my brain has lashed on to a belief. That's it. That's very different than what you're describing. Totally, totally. And it's, you know, you're not bypassing the rational side of your brain completely with these processes. I mean, you're thanking it for sharing. You're putting it in its place, in effect. And you're accessing information that goes far beyond its its kind of meager powers. Um, and it's it, to me, it's it's the, the fact it's not superstition because it's actually it can all be tested out. You just try it out. You see where it goes. You see where it takes you. It's an ongoing experiment, um, and you find over time that it defies, let's say, the powers of explanation. Just like, at, you know, it's very mysterious at its core, just as, as a divine at its core, very mysterious. How can we even start to guess what it's all about? And yet, it works. It, 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 in a very concrete, physical, practical way, it works. Now, Meg, one of the things I find interesting about you is that you've mm-hmm. done a certain amount of research and uh, engaged in scholarship to know what scientific studies there are to support divining. And I'm curious if there have been any studies that really prove, quote-unquote, its effectiveness. Not many, because on many of these questions, how do you scientifically test on what the right course of action is? It's, it's not particularly responsive in laboratory situations, in real life, it is, but in in laboratory situations, it tends to uh, to get all funny, which is one of its more endearing aspects. Okay, well then we'll go to this. Then, what is your pet theory, your true, genuine pet theory in your heart about how these divining tools work with quote unquote the divine? I think we're all deeply divine. And this process makes that clear and allows our rational mind to come into accord with that. Uh, The rational mind is wonderful. It's a wonderful tool. It's not the end-all and be-all of existence. It's only a tool. And I think when we divine, we, we just, we really do touch the space that's the deepest and the truest 
part of ourselves, which is the deepest and truest part of what is, and and it is what is at base. In divining, what I find in my personal experience is, is the feeling I have is of, of coming into a, a space which is a very a vast, vast panorama of of information, but not just information. There's an immensity to it and a depth to it and a silence to it. And yeah, there's kind of a sense of throbbing life um, and there's a kindness to it. You really see that, you know, the universe is a kind place in which to be and and I am a kind part of it. Um, I am that, actually. And that's what I find divining leads us toward. At its heart, it's a spiritual process. It brings us into the truth of our existence. And that's why I like it. Wonderful. I've been speaking with Meg Lundstrom. She's the author of a new Sounds True book, What to Do When You Can't Decide, Useful Tools for Finding the Answers Within. And it's a very practical book and very helpful book, supportive book, and intriguing book. Meg, thank you so much for speaking with me and for sharing a little bit about these techniques and how they've been meaningful to you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tammy. I really enjoyed this. Again, the author of a new book, What to Do When You Can't Decide. For SoundsTrue.com, thank you for listening. Sounds True. Many voices, one journey.